You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good morning. Let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for everything you do, even the weather. It it is important for us to have water in the summer, and so you know what that necessitates. And and you bring the snow, you bring the sun, you bring the rain, and you bring it to to the righteous and to the unrighteous. And this morning, we just thank you that you know what needs to be done. You know what needs to be done in the weather. You know what needs to be done in our lives. And so as we look into your word this morning, it is with anticipation that you will find things for us to change, find things for us to do that will be better glorifying for you and for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and more obedient to the Holy Spirit. We'll just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the ongoing um, cadence, I guess is another word I, word I can use again, that we have between Jess and I, he's teaching through Philippians, and we're working through working our way through 1 Corinthians, which we will have done in this lifetime. Um, Last time, we left off with verse 12. We'll do a little bit of review, but first I would like to read through chapter chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Open up your Bibles to that. And the first, very first sentence is a sentence that we may get to again today. Um, where Paul says, I'm at, am I not free? And then in verse 19, he says, for, for though I am free. So he's asking a rhetorical question. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking of these things. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. (laughs) Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things that it may be done so in my case, for it it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, 
I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I become a Jew as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. No participation trophies. You must win. And everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself might be disqualified, should be disqualified. So last time when we left off, we were in verse 12. <clears throat> Actually, we left off in verse uh, 11. Might I double check myself here? 12. We left off 12. Right. You're right. Uh, chapter 9. Um, Chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. So verse 11, Paul is continuing to mount this argument that he has a right to receive payment for his services in preaching the gospel. And he says in verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things, meaning the gospel itself, in you, is it too much if we reap material things? Although the spiritual things in life are more important than the material but in order for the spiritual things to be propagated, ministers actually have to eat. They have to eat, they have to pay their bills, they have to get to and from work, and those things cost money. And so Paul is, is making that argument. And, uh, and as we looked at it, we, re we checked into the fact that, that, that uh, the Greeks themselves knew that those who minister receive payment from those who are ministered to. And I'm going to catch up on the overhead here. If we sowed spiritual things, this is what we looked at before. The offerings that were given, how the priests extracted, extracted is the wrong word, received the living from the offerings that were given, both in the, in the Greek world and in the, in the, in the uh, New Testament, the Old Testament, excuse me. So, as Paul would have known all of this, as he was giving, he was delivering this information, this, uh, through the letter to the Corinthians, that the gospel would earn a living for those who preached it. This was what was in mind, how the priests who ministered in the temples, whether it was Greek and pagan or, or it was from the living God, that they earned a living through their work, and that is right and just. Apparently, others who had ministered in Corinth had been compensated. Uh, it said that it looked like maybe Peter or Apollos uh, had, had been compensated for their work there. And so Paul, the founder of this church, certainly had a right for compensation for his work. Uh, Anyway, we looked at that. We looked at the fact that Paul did not want to be a hindrance to the gospel. Uh, he didn't want the requirement or the need for payment to him to be a hindrance. And the word hindrance was actually from a, uh, a military term where they would break up a road to prevent passage on purpose. So 
Verse 13. You never thought we'd get there. But here we are. Verse 13. Do you not know? He says. How many? I guess I've lost count. But Paul uses this numerous times. These are things that the Corinthians should have known. Do you not know, he says, that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? These are people who had lived their lives under the pagan auspices of the temples in Corinth. They knew exactly how the priests there were paid, how they received compensation through the sacrifices that were given. We've looked at this earlier, especially in verse 11. Paul clearly says here to the Corinthians, Another of his do-you-not-know phrases. As mentioned, the pagan priests in Greek sacrificial rites were well taken care of. And, of course, the Jewish priests were provided for as well. So in Leviticus chapter 7, 1 through 36, we're not going to read the whole thing. There's just some outtakes here I want us to see so we can see that God provided very well for those who would be performing this, the temple services. Um, it was, It's not wrong to make a good living doing the thing that you have been called to do. Verse 6 of chapter 7, Leviticus chapter 7. Every male among the priests may eat of it, speaking of the offerings. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. Then verse 8. Also, the priest who represents any man's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has presented. Likewise, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and everything prepared in a pan or on a griddle shall belong to the priest who presents it. Every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to all alike. That's verses 8 through 10. Then verse 14. Of this he shall present one of every offering as a contribution to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the priest offerings. And then verse 28. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands are to bring the offerings by fire to the Lord. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be presented as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall offer up the fat in smoke on the altar, but the breast shall belong to Aaron and his son, the food. You shall give the right thigh to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. The one among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat, the right thigh, shall be as his portion. For I have taken the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the contribution from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as their due forever from the sons of Israel. That is, this is that which is consecrated to Aaron and that which is consecrated to his sons from the offerings by fire to the Lord in that day which he presented them to serve as priests of the Lord. Priests to the Lord, excuse me. These the Lord had commanded to be given them from the sons of Israel in the day that he anointed them it is their due forever throughout their generations. Is it? Are groceries expensive? Do you have to have them? Really? There's got to be somebody in here who doesn't need groceries. It's a good weight loss program. Yeah, really good for a while. Then it becomes something for the undertaker. The point is, in this case, the room and board is taken care of very well. And... Uh, and we'll talk about the little practices that the priest got into on the side selling stuff. But interestingly enough, that did happen. There are quite a few other references to the maintenance of the priest, but this will suffice to show that God intended for them to be well taken care of out of what the people gave for the support of the temple and the temple work. Any questions about verse 13? Comments? Okay. Verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. <gasps> And take a breath. 
Some would have an intake of breath there. No, they should do it. Anything worthwhile should be done for free. I hear that all the time in the liberty movement. Well, if you really think that liberty is good and constitutional propositions are proper, you should give it to the people for free. Okay, I will until I lose so much weight that I can't stand anymore. Verse 14, so the Lord directs those who proclaim the gospel to get their living. Directs those. What's that sound like? A suggestion? What do you, what do you call that? A command. So, what is that, what burden does that place upon us who are receiving the benefits of the one who proclaims the gospel? Or the, or more? Pardon me? Tithe, giving, sacrifice, gifts. Paul may have been speaking here of the instructions Jesus gave to the disciples, or he may have been referring to an unrecorded uh, saying of Jesus, teaching of Jesus, or simply to the revelation that uh, the Holy Spirit gave him for this particular epistle. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said this, talking to the disciples as they were traveling throughout the country, giving, uh, spreading the gospel, spreading the the words of the kingdom. He said, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. whole bunch of principles there, but we'll just talk about the one. The, the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's a good thing, to be worthy of your wages. There are plenty today who aren't worthy of their wages, and we'll talk about that in a bit here. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Do not acquire gold or silver or copy for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. All of those things, what would have been provided by um, gold or silver or copper or extra sandals or a staff or any of that extra stuff, that is to be provided by those to whom the apostles were preaching to. If a man gets his living from the gospel, let it be said that he should work hard to get that living. Yes, the laborer is worthy of his hire, but he should labor and be worthy of the pay. There is one today, and many today, and probably has been since time immemorial, who make their living from the gospel, but they don't preach the true gospel. They're usurpers, they're stealers, they're thieves, they're hirelings, they're, they're wicked. They preach a gospel, but it is not the gospel. One commentator had this to say about that. He said, if a man, uh, and ignore the pictures, it was just some suggested pictures that, that came up, you know. If a man who does not labor takes his maintenance from the church of God, it is not only a domestic theft, but a sacrilege. And I would wager, oh, let me finish the quote. If a man who does not labor takes his maintenance from the church of God, it is not only a domestic theft, but a sacrilege. He that gives up his time to labor has a right to the support of himself and his family. He who takes more than is sufficient for this purpose is a covetous hireling. He who does nothing for the cause of God and religion and yet obliges the church to support him and minister to his idleness, irregularities, luxury, avarice, and ambition is a monster for whom human language has not yet got a name. Yeah, they do. It's called televangelist. Um, it's in the thesaurus, monster televangelist. It's there. Look it up, my thesaurus. If a man gets his living from the gospel, his life should reflect the very teaching he delivers. It has been said that a man judge a message by the character of the messenger. Paul would do nothing that would detract in any way from the gospel he preached, and he will see to that, and we will see that in the next section. So there are those who are preaching a gospel, but if it's not the gospel, then it is a lie, 
and they are extracting support from an apparently willing church, or I use the word church in parenthesis, um, or in, in quotation marks, who is being sold a bill of goods, a con, if you will. And we can't have that. That's why it is so important for the members, for those who are under the teaching, to check that teaching, to be, as I see it regularly um, posited, and very importantly so, be Bereans, be able to take the time necessary yourself to see to it that those who are responsible for your teaching are being responsible for correct teaching. Because there is so much that passes for good teaching today that isn't. And so many people who are so deceived. I can't believe some of the things I hear Christians say that they think they got from the Bible. It's an unfortunate thing. And it results in destruction. It results in destroyed lives. It results, it can result if the person has been fed a false gospel in eternal, in eternal torment. And this, uh, this Arthur, or not Arthur, I'm thinking of the, the movie. Clark, Alan Clark, who commented on this, he calls them a monster. And that's a good term. They're monsters when they take your money and give you a false bill of goods. Any comments about that? Questions? Okay. Paul says, but I, referring to all of this before, and we'll, we'll get a little list here in a minute, but I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Paul had just given us six reasons why he should be, he should be supported by those whom he ministered to. Number one, is in verse 1. He was an apostle. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? The, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Number 1. He was an apostle. Number 2. It was customary to do so. That is in verse 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Number 3. It was the law of God. Verses 8 through 11. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? It does not, or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, for our sake. I lose my place. It was written, yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? So it's the law of God. Number four, it was being done for others, verse 12. Notice that's way down. Well, you did it for everybody else. That's later in Paul's litany here. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Number five, it was a universal pattern common to pagan religions as well as Christianity. Verse 13, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar? And we looked at that in, in uh, the litany of, of uh, provision that is in other, other places in the Old Testament as well, but most notably in Leviticus chapter 7. And number six, 
Jesus himself commanded it. Verse 14, which is where we're at. So the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the Lord. So he was an apostle. It was customary. It was the law of God. It was being done for others. It was a universal pattern, and Jesus himself commanded it. Now he disavows taking a living from ministering the gospel himself, and he does so in the strongest terms one could imagine. He makes certain the Corinthians know that he's not writing those six reasons for support because he's changed his mind. He didn't write those things in an attempt to subliminally, subliminally convince them that even though he's against it, he's for it, but he voted against it before he voted for it because he was for it against it before he voted for it. You've seen that happen in Congress. That's not Paul. He's given them the list. <laughs> he would rather die than take pay for preaching the gospel, he says, and he would never say something in an empty way. No matter where he preached, he would not take money for it. In Thessalonica, he did the same. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. For you recall, he says, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. He said that to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Verse, uh, chapter two, uh, Second Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Apparently, interestingly enough, though, the Thessalonians were so delighted, thrilled, amazed, in awe that God would bring the gospel to them. And we should feel that way too, by the way. That later on, after he left Thessalonica, they may have sent money to him to help him on his travels. It is likely that these are the funds that he might have used to help defray the expenses so that the Corinthians would not have to pay to hear the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, he says this. It's an interesting way he says it, too. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. And even so, that is the pattern that we see in modern missions, and a good pattern, that when we take the gospel to someone new, those behind who have been the benefit of the blessing of God and the gospel. They defray the costs of the missionary so that he can take that gospel to them without expense so that at some point when they get to the place where they have enough members in their church that they can support their own preacher, then they take on that responsibility. It's a beautiful plan. It's a remarkable plan, and it works very well. But pragmatism isn't the reason we're delighted with it. We're delighted with it because God said so. This is how God moved. Finally, when he uses the word boast, it's not because he wanted to brag, but rather to show the joy he has in bringing the gospel in this manner. It should be said, however, that Paul did have a justifiable pride in the fact that he could, also, he could take pay for preaching the gospel, but he chose not to. He delivered it to the churches free. Also, though the Greeks looked down on manual labor, Paul did not. In this, he could take justifiable pride, proper pride as well, in that he worked with his hands and paid his own way. He made the gospel available to the Corinthians, at no charge to them, so that they would be able to experience, they would be able to, <laughs> there's that word, they would be able to acknowledge the work of God in their lives among themselves. And then at some point in their lives, come to a place where they could support Paul in his further missionary efforts. So the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Remarkable. Any comments, questions, concerns? Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, Paul says, I have nothing to boast of, 
for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. This may hark back to Paul's conversion, where he was struck off his horse by the Lord Jesus Christ in Damascus. In a sense, he had no choice but to preach the gospel. This was a compulsion laid on him by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Point blank, in person, he laid this compulsion on him. <laughs> this is not just some idle itch to talk about the gospel, talk about the Bible. This is a stewardship that was laid upon Paul, and he could, do not, he could not do anything but discharge it. Jeremiah understood this and maybe something of what Paul was experiencing. In Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah said this, For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Imagine that. When you have to speak things that bring derision. We're there. Brothers and sisters, we're there. In the first century, the second century, the church stood against, guess what? Sodomy, multiple marriages, transvestitism. They stood against that. They were the, the Jews and the Christians were the lone voices standing against that. And it could cost you your life then. Woe to the church today that has not the courage to stand against the very same things. Nothing new in this planet. There's nothing new under the sun. Don't you, you know, sometimes when you're shouting up here, <laughs> you wish that the, that the audio could pick up your facial expressions. Because it's just, it's amazing to me that we've lost the conviction as a, as a universal church, if you will, that these words are true. And we don't say this because we have a vendetta against someone. We say it because their souls are in danger. Because their life is in danger. This is not, I don't tell my kids to wear seatbelts because I want them constrained. I don't want their faces planted in the dash if I do something stupid. So it's a little uncomfortable. You wear the seat. That's not a real good analogy, but it's a fair one. You're wearing a seatbelt. You're a little bit put out. You're a little bit constrained. But in the event of an endangering happening, you're safe, hopefully. That's not a real good one because the gospel is far, far more effective than a seatbelt. So we're, I, I kind of got off the track there and lost myself. Jeremiah, yeah. Jeremiah said this, For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me... The word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones and I am weary of holy in and I cannot endure it. He says, I have to preach the word that God has given me. Do you feel like that sometimes, Jim? Or most of the time? You have to. It's the delivery that's important. It's how you give it. And I, I marvel that Jeremiah was let, let, let live <laughs> because he cut no corners at all. For if I preach the gospel, Paul says, I have nothing to boast of for I'm under compulsion for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. We need to feel like that today. The church needs to take on the responsibility of delivering in love but firmly the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in our words and in our lives. Any comments, any questions about verse 16? By the way, the clock's not working. So I get to go as long as I want. Except, yeah. <laughs> That's as mine does. 10 or 2, okay. 10 or 2. Verse 17. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. A stewardship entrusted to me. This difficult verse can be understood 
if you realize Paul, who was very familiar with the teaching of his Lord, very familiar, uh, spent multiple to d days and weeks and months studying and thinking and meditating on the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that to simply discharge a duty made one an unprofitable servant. Chapter 17 of Luke, verses 7 through 10. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. Paul knew that, that to only do what was necessary made one an unprofitable servant. One without uh, imagination or uh, diligence or uh, intuition, things that would cause you to do more than you were called to do. Do you think Paul did more than he was called to do? Well, there's on the one hand, you could say, no, he did exactly what God called him to do. But on the other hand, it is my contention that Paul worked very hard, very hard, very effectively, very determinedly, and over and above whatever was necessary. Which of us would write a book from prison, encouraging others to do the things that God has put in prison? Had Paul done this work of preaching the gospel of his own will, he could command payment. This verse is not saying that he preached the gospel against his will, but simply that he had no say in the call. The Lord Jesus Christ called him to do this work, and though he found delight and fulfillment in doing it, it was not optional. This was God, this was his calling in life, and do it he must. Thus it was a stewardship that was entrusted to him by the Son of God. Sometimes, and I'm going to use the D word here, we don't like the duty word, but there it is. It was Paul's duty again, and again, though he did it with joy, it was still what he must do. All of us have those kinds of things in our lives that we are called to do. Would it not be best if we could find ways to do them with joy? Paul had a duty, but he was glad to do it. That's the kind of duty to have, the kind of duty that you, you, you can't do anything else but. And so for Paul, he said, I have a I'm under a compulsion. Woe is me if I don't do it. Any comments, questions about verse 17? And then we're going to see this, this, this flow that's developing right here for, for Paul to be able to come on strong when he becomes all things for all men. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Don't we all want to make full use of our rights? Don't we all want to make sure we get to do everything we should be able to do? It's my right to do that. And yes, it may very well be your right to do something. But can you constrain yourself for the good of others, for the safety, for the concern of others? Safety may be an improper choice of words there, but you get the drift. Paul is going to give us a, a dissertation on doing that. <laughs> Paul was compelled to preach, but he was not compelled to preach without taking pay. So in this, he took both satisfaction and delight, even in some measure you might consider pay, in that he was able to offer the gospel without charge and not make use of the rights he had to charge for preaching. He could have made use of those rights. The Corinthians were a dense, thick-skulled bunch who 
seem to make a practice of finding the very best way to do the stupidest thing possible. Best practices in idiocy. BPI. And I say that without arrogance because that's me. That's me in a nutshell. Often in my life, how can I do this in the worst possible way, extract the stupidest uh, expenses from it, the most expensive expenses from it, and come out the other end worse off? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll do this. That is the Corinthians. So Paul is saying, I could have asked you to pay me, but I didn't. He's making sure, basically what he's doing here, at least as, as I read through this section over and over, he's, he's saying it this way, then he's saying it this way, and for those who can't see the audio, audio, I'm moving around. And he's saying it this way, and he's saying it this way. You got it, Corinthians? And if I was in the audience, I would have said, oh, well, sir, I'm not sure. Could you repeat that? So that's what he's doing. He's covering every possible base so that every objection can be put to silence. Isn't that how the Holy Spirit does things? So then he says, for though I am free for all, from all men. Well, before I say that. Any questions about his reward? That when he preaches the gospel, he could offer it without charge, but he doesn't take that right. <clears throat> Verse 19. And we'll end with this. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. As I read through these, this section of 1 Corinthians and looked at it again this morning, I, I began to realize how little I, I, I sacrificed myself for the cause of the gospel. He sacrificed his life. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed pay. He sacrificed family in, in a proper way, in a biblical way. He could have charged, this is just a small thing, he could have charged for preaching the gospel, but he chose not to, so that those who he was bringing the gospel to would, number one, be free to receive it and not have to pay for it. But also there's that aspect that I think he didn't really want to be under, he didn't want to be beholden to this group of people. That's another story for another time. So there are other ways that Paul waived his rights as well. He chose not to take full of advantage of his Christian liberty so that he might win more through the gospel, to the gospel, to the kingdom of God. Thus he says, Though he was free in regards to his rights from all men, he was obliged to subject himself to none because he was saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as well as being a Roman citizen. But he voluntarily chose to make himself a slave to everyone so that he could win as many as possible. Imagine being as Paul was and giving up your adult life to travel around the world in a most difficult of all circumstances, spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ under conditions that would daunt most, if not all. Uh, without, the, without the grace of the Holy Spirit in his life, Paul would have been at odds with that as well. Uh, not to say that any one of us can't be used of the Lord Jesus Christ to do those things. The point was, he could, have paid, he could have done all kinds of things, but this is what he chose to do. He was under compulsion to do it, but this is what he chose to do. The word he uses for slave, by the way, where he says, I have made myself a slave, is the Greek word that is typically um, rendered a bond slave. Somebody who had no rights to themselves, who, if you owned one of these, you could command them to do virtually anything. They were your true slave. He would change his habits. He would forego delights. 
He would be very careful not to cause someone to stumble. He would put everything that could be questionable, even partly questionable in his life, under the control of love for the sake of the gospel. The compulsion that drove him was the Holy Spirit himself. And Paul would be obedient. He was taking seriously one of the Lord's most difficult teachings, that he who would be first must be second. Watching for frowns, he who would be first must be last. So that means if you want to win the Boston Marathon, you've got to be 28,000th in keeping with the concept here. I want to look at that real quick, that command, that statement, that teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10, verses 37 through 44. They said to him, two of the apostles, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. They just want to be on Jesus' right hand and left hand. That's what they wanted. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John, calling them, calling them to himself, Jesus said, and calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you. Lord it over them, lord it over the Gentiles, and their, and their great men exercise authority over them. But this is not the way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. This indeed may have been one of the most difficult of Jesus' teachings. We all want to be first. We all want to be served. We all want to be famous. We all want to be known. We all want to be known for contributions. We all want to be special. Paul would have struggled with these very same things, but by the work of grace in his life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the transforming nature of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he actually enslaved himself to all men in order to serve as many as possible. I believe, just a suggestion, that in chapter, 44, chapter 10 of Mark, verse 44 was Paul's life verse. Whoever wishes to be first among you, shall be slave of all. And so then he said in verse 19, for though I am free from all men, free by virtue of being saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, free by virtue of being a Roman citizen, you could say free by virtue of being an American citizen, with all the freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win some more. Verse 44, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And Paul said, okay, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. What, 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 what would attract the most attention? The guy who won or someone who stopped to help a disabled person make it to the finish line? And the winner should win accolades. I'm not, I'm not trying to say no. But those who serve others, even the heathen, even the unbelievers, they, it's remarkable to them. And this is what Paul did. This was his life's calling. He made himself a slave to everyone so that he might win some to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Pat? Absolutely. Do the best you can in complete humility 
even if it costs you the winning of that race. But who's to say the person who helped someone else across the finish line didn't win in some other way, some other far more important way. But we shouldn't do it because of the winning. We should do it because of the calling. We're under compulsion. Woe be to us if we do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ to the fullest of our extent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the remarkable truths that you put into your word that get right at the heart of what it is that we need to do. And so this morning as we, we contemplate being slaves to others, let it be in such a manner that it is out of service, it is out of delight, it is out of joy, it is out of honor to you, it is out of wanting to be profitable servants for you, much like Onesimus became a profitable servant to Philemon because of the work you did in his heart and in his life through the work of the Apostle Paul, another remarkable story. And we'll thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.